Welcome to Square Mile Conversations, a podcast series where you get to hear Square Mile stars speak for themselves. In this episode, Lucifer star Tom Ellis chats to the mighty Sam Hewen about Outlander, acting, and plenty more besides. The pair are old friends and have a lot in common. They went to the same drama school, now lead two of the biggest shows on TV, and both have graced a Square Mile cover. They're also cracking company, so pour yourself a glass of Sam's Sassanac whiskey and enjoy. Hello, everyone. I've been given the great privilege to interview my old buddy, Mr. Sam Hune. How are you, Bed? How are you, mate? All right, buddy. Yeah, this is be- this is turning into a regular occurrence, isn't it? Like, no, let's just like give up acting and just interview each other. For the rest <laughs> each of other for the rest of our careers. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's been happening? There's not much this year, obviously, because of COVID. Um, how are you, mate? It's really great to see you. You're looking and you, some as always. Mate, you're, you're looking just as suave yourself. It's, it's been a while. I haven't actually seen you in person for probably, I don't know, I don't even want to guess, probably a decade, if not longer. It's at least 10 years. It must be. It's so yeah. weird. I feel like we've been chatting to each other like virtually, um, either via text or on this, in the last few years because our, our paths kind of crossed again in Rome. I went out to Rome to do a, um, a convention out there called Gibland which is the most fun I've ever had at a convention ever. <laughs> and all, all people could talk about was you, mate. Like you'd been there the year before and blown everyone's socks off. And then I think you had your own private convention. Would you like to tell us about that? Well, I think we, I probably just left you the bar bill, didn't I, really? <laughs> yeah, but, probably. But, uh, yeah, no, that's right. We, we, we used to do these conventions when the world was um, in a better place. And it, it is actually one of the most fun. I think just the group of actors that they get together and... Um, there's a lot of alcohol consumed, of course, but also, you know, the Italian hospitality and, um, and we're yet to do one, obviously, together, but we will. We have to make that happen. Well, let's make one happen. We should do one. We should do a Sam and Tom convention. <laughs> this is practically <laughs> it, isn't it? <laughs> so listen, I want to talk to you about um, lots of things. Obviously, everyone yes. knows you these days from, from Outlander, mainly, um, but I've known you for a lot longer than that. So I want to go, I want to go right back. I want to go right, right back and talk about, um, well, first off, where you're from and where you were born. Um, I think it's quite apparent to people, but um, let's just get some specifics. Uh, specifically, I, I am from the southwest of Scotland called uh, New Galloway. I was born in a place called Balmacclellan, uh, which is basically southwest. It's very rural. There's practically nothing there apart from sheep and, um, and, and the old um, castle. I actually was born in the grounds of an old castle, a derelict castle called Kenmuir Castle. And it was pretty idyllic, I suppose, if you imagine like a Scottish child growing up, you yeah. know, playing, playing in the grounds of this, this castle. And um, yeah, I think probably that's where the love of maybe acting came from, you know, kind of imagining being Robert the Bruce or King Arthur or whatever. Um, how, how come you were in the grounds of the castle? Is that just where your, where your folks were? What, what was the situation? Yeah, yeah. My my mom, uh, we moved up there just before I was born, and she was working up there. Um, and it's kind of a very creative area. And I never really knew this as a kid, but we were surrounded by these these people that were craftsmen. Uh, you know, my uncle is a craftsman. He makes uh, a lot of things out of wicker, which um, we've used on Outlander and we used in other movies as well. Um, he made the the Wicker Man for the Wicker Man remake. Did he really? Um, yeah, which Graham you. McTavish, which is a segue to later, uh, I believe was in. Um, unfortunately, he's get... everything, by the way. <laughs> That's not a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's been in everything, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's a very creative place. And then I think, you know, I moved to Edinburgh when I was, was 14 and, um, and sort of 
found myself eventually going to drama school in Glasgow. Did you did you always want to, to act when you were at school, when you were that age? I don't know about you, mate, but I, I, I was fascinated by it, but I didn't think I could do it. And I, I actually, when I was, you know, 16 and we get encouraged to go and do work experience, um, I went to the Traverse Theatre during the festival and worked as a stagehand. Um, and during the, the Edinburgh Festival, it's a period where, you know, hundreds of plays, thousands of plays are being put on um, all, all through the day. And Traverse was particularly known for new writing and they would circulate these plays all day. There'd be like four or five plays on in the day. And I was one of these stagehands, but I was so obsessed by the actors and not the sort of behind the scenes work that uh, during one of these sort of moving sets, uh, days when I was moving a set, I was staring kind of a bit like a stalker uh, at the uh, the actors. And uh, I just dropped a bit of set on the stage manager and he got taken to hospital. He had just <laughs> stitches, in, stitches in his hand. So I realized it wasn't really for me and um, thought maybe I should do go and try and pursue the other side of acting. Oh, cool, man. Well, that's really weird because like, I, one of my sort of early memories of you and being friends with you was you did a play at the Traverse. And I think you were probably still a drama student. Were I mean, you still at Royal Scottish Academy then? Yeah, yeah, I was. So Outlying Islands was the play. That's right, yeah, yeah. I was in my second year at, at drama school and they didn't really encourage you know, you to go off and get work. But I, I was very lucky and we were doing a production of um, Romeo and Juliet and um, this director came in and saw it and asked me to audition. And I was very lucky I went to go and do Outlying Islands for a year and a half and actually didn't really really do much drama school after that. But um, it's a great way, as you know, like you learn on the job. Quite similar in that regard. You both then like started working quite early into drama school and your, your third year was kind of, almost null and void of being a drama student because you were actually doing what you were training to do, which was amazing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. And as you say, you, you learn when you're on the job and um, it really gives you yeah, a great understanding of what, what the actual real world is like. And uh, it was fantastic. We went to London with it. We went to the Royal Court. We went to Canada um, and all over the UK. We did sort of a tour. So yeah, it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. So can I ask you then, like, because obviously that was like, I, th I suppose that would be in the realms of what we would call early success, you know, being a drama student and, and starting to work already. Do you, did, did that, what, I guess that ties in with like, what were your dreams? What were your expectations when you started at drama school? Did you think I'm going to go to drama school and then I'm going to be an actor when I come out and I'm going to work? Um, did you think I'm going to be um, going to go to drama school and just see how it goes? Or I'm going to go to drama mm. school and be a superstar? You know, what was your, what was your thinking and how did it sort of tie in with the reality? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I grew up uh, going to the Lyceum Theatre and the Traverse, obviously, and I, I, I was just obsessed with Scottish theatre and that for me was was it. It's theatre and I, so drama school was just trying to learn as, as much about theatre and who, who the practitioners were in, in the UK and in Scotland. But that, in my mind, was, was what was going to happen. I was going to go out afterwards and hopefully work and be known as a, as a reasonably good actor or reasonably employable <laughs> actor. And then I guess you start to dream a little bit about, you know, America and American TV shows. I remember me and my flatmates at drama school were obsessed with Band of Brothers, which your, our, your sort of mutual friend, uh, James McAvoy, was in. And actually a great number of sort of famous actors now were in that. And for me, sort of being in a TV show like that was, it was kind of a bit of a pipe dream, but it was something that, you know, was very enticing. But, but wandering the streets of Glasgow, it didn't really feel like um, I would ever be in a, a big TV show. 
So when did you when do you feel like that that happened for you? Because you went you you were doing theatre and then um, so after Outlying Islands, did you do some more theatre after that, or did you did you find yourself doing a TV job? What was the sort of moment that took you in onto a TV set for the first time? Um, I I after that I moved to London, sort of following in your footsteps, um, and I did actually I looked up to you and I saw you at auditions and. You know yourself and James McAvoy. You know I, I sort of saw you guys getting out there and, and being successful, and I thought, God, you know, okay, this, that's that's the path I want to take. And um, quickly got uh, cast in a ITV drama called I, um, Islands at War. Yet more islands, and it was um, quite a big production. And we were over in the Isle of Man, and I remember the first day on set, and I had this big scene with my sort of father. Um, the guy that played my father was James Wilby. So was quite a big actor at the time and I, you know never been on camera and I remember it was this big scene so I'd been reading all you know books about acting for camera and uh, the big take came came along my big close-up and I, I realized that you're not meant to blink is what I read so I tried to do this like four minute take without blinking and by the end of it you know I, I literally couldn't see because I like my eyes were streaming and I was trying to like not blink and the director came up to his Irish uh, director and he said if you blink it lets me into your soul and I was like, oh, okay, great. So I'm allowed to blink. And then, um, and then the rest, hopefully, <laughs> was, was a lot better. About how to be a better actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, day one, acting school, day one. You're allowed to blink. Oh. Brilliant. But yeah. Feel, on, actually, on that note, when we're talking about it, do you, um, do you feel that there is a tangible difference between preparing for, like, doing acting for theatre and doing acting for the screen? Uh, dude, I, I think that's a good question. And... I honestly don't know anymore because it's been so long since I've been on the stage. So I would love, like you, you know, you, we've both been in this, our respective TV shows for a long time now. And I, I don't know about you, but I would love to do that challenge and go back on stage. I imagine it's probably not any dissimilar, um, though there is definitely a different technique, of course. But, but I think the process is still the same, right? Yeah, I agree. I think the process, I think the execution is different in terms of, yeah. like you said, technique of, you know, being small of a camera and big of a stage and all of those kind of weird things, but preparing the character and the thought process and all of that is the same. You just don't yeah. have the luxury of rehearsal, which is the thing that I really miss actually from theatre. Yeah. yeah. And also, I think probably, I probably shouldn't say this, but I think plays are probably better written than some t television. So, <laughs> so, well, I just think, you know, the, the, the rhythm is there, the, the, the you know, especially some of, you know, the Pinter or whatever. I mean, they're so, they're so precise. So really, all you'd have to do is not get in, get in the way of, of what the writer has written. But sometimes television, sometimes um, you, you really have to work quite hard to make it feel Absolutely. natural or feel better. So, so the, the, a play, I would imagine, unless you're Noel Coward, you do it in like two nights. Most, you know, most playwrights take a long time painfully yeah. thinking about every word that's on the page. And I'm not saying that TV and film writers don't do that, or TV TV writers especially, but they're on such a tight schedule of having yeah. to work deadline that they've got like a couple of weeks to come up with something. Yeah. So it's never going to have the same value on the page. You know, the words are never going to have the same value on the page. And yeah. thought process. You know, there'll be moments of gold, but there are things that you'll have to, like you're saying, work out yourself basically and flesh out yeah. yourself. And also, you've got you know a team of writers, so. You know, and dare I say that there's always some writers write better for your character and others don't. And I guess um, within that, you get 
a lot more variety. So it's up to the, I guess, you, the actor, to then be the the consistent, you know, throughout that and uh, almost make it your own or make it make it the character's own. So um, yeah, so there is a remarkable difference. But um, I'd love to go back to theatre. Would you? Is that something that you're oh you're yearning for? Time. I mean, I, I. It's so funny, like. <laughs> You spend a bit of time over here and like you, you work in TV for a bit and then you talk to your uh, your agents, uh, American agents and managers about doing theatre and they're like, yeah, maybe <laughs> at some point in the future, because yeah. uh, obviously there's no money involved in it. Um, but I, I I just kind of, I, I love it. I mean, I think it's the kind of, it is the, the essence of what, like why I really love acting in the first place. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I really miss that. I miss live, I miss the live aspect for sure. I mean, when yeah. we were doing Miranda, there was at least an element of the live aspect because it just had an audience and stuff. And you get that instant sort of feedback and gratification and all those things. I think mm. that's the thing I really kind of miss a lot when I'm, um, you know, when you're shooting. Um, but listen, let's talk about let's talk about Outlander because we haven't got there yet. I wanted to sort of flesh it out before that fact. But okay. talk to me about where your your journey from. So you've been doing Outlying Islands and you, you start breaking into TV. Um, and what we're talking about, sort of 2000 and what now? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, 2003, 2004. So, um, yeah. And then Outlander, when did that happen? Uh, 2014, 2013, 2014. Um, yeah, so there was a, you know, a long period of, you know, auditioning successfully or, un or mostly unsuccessfully in, in London and um sort of getting to know people and getting to know the casting directors and you know i had i had varying success but i was also you know a jobbing actor so you know i was working in bars as well trying to support myself and I, my first taste of hollywood i guess was i think i got i i, I did a self-tape for tron yeah. and at the time the movie i was living in a sort of a really crappy apartment um, the outskirts of London and there was like drug dealers on my street and I remember you know having very little money to my name and this you know beautiful car turned up to pick me up first class flown to Hollywood staying in this amazing hotel and uh, I remember just being terrified that I had to like tip the driver when I got to LA because I'd read about tipping in Los Angeles and I was like I don't I only had like $20 or whatever so I gave him my last $20 and I'm like Shit, I'm staying in this amazing hotel, but I can't touch anything. I can't touch the mini bar because I won't be able to pay for it. But um, it was a, an amazing process to go there and to you know, go on set and be part of this huge production. And they, I was, I think, I was there for like three days of tests, and um, it was it was my first taste. But I, I specifically remember walking down Hollywood Boulevard, like in some time off, and my mm -hmm. phone rang, and it was the local pub in, in London that I was working at at the time. And they were like, hey mate, you're um, five minutes late. <laughs> you're gonna be, you're gonna be here. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm afraid I'm in Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I didn't go down to They're like, what are you doing in Northern Ireland? And you're like, no mate, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. So did you get that job? No. It was enough like, for you, right? So that's like the good shot in golf. It was enough for you to make you go, right? This is I'm onto something here. The American side of it, like getting and getting, because we used to when we started doing auditions for America. I remember like going to like Suzanne Smith's office, especially actually, and yeah. like in things on tape, and then never hearing anything ever again about that thing. I just spent uh, you know hours learning lines for, and that happened for like a good couple of years until I had that very moment that you're talking about, where I just suddenly got a call going, they want to fly you out and test you. And I was like, what, what, this doesn't happen to people like me? And then yeah. 
uh, but it was enough. It was enough of a, and I, I didn't get the job. You know, it was a hugely kind of like disappointing experience in the end, but it was also incredibly exciting to yeah. have that feeling, to have that kind of like just on the end of the hook. Yeah. Here. And it's just enough to kind of reinforce some belief in myself again. I think, and I think you've touched it there. I think exactly. I think go, sort of spending a couple of years in London and not really feeling that you're that welcome in the industry to going to America. And, you know, I got a manager and an agent quickly. I had my choice of agents because there was this thing about British actors and, and I don't know, it just, there was suddenly a positivity to it. And I felt, oh, actually, you know, LA things can happen. It's a very can do place. And um, so I did, I, I spent quite a bit of time there sort of pilot seasons and tried to try to try to get work. But um, it's interesting you mentioned Suzanne Smith because she then obviously was the casting director who eventually did cast me in, in Outlander. And for years I'd been going to see her and like yourself, you know, she was quite intimidating, I think, you know, at first. Yeah. And uh, I remember she would always sort of be like, that was terrible, you know, just do it again, but faster. And you're like, oh God, oh God, I'm so rubbish. And then <laughs> suddenly, um, you know, she cast me in Outlander and, uh, it, and everything changes. So, gosh, so th talk to me about this then. So Outlander obviously has changed your career. Should we, is that mm. fair to say? Yeah, oh yeah, I mean. Finally absolutely. given the opportunity they needed to see Sam Hugh in the light he needed to be seen, which is, he's a fantastic actor, an incredibly beautiful man. And, and, and a ginger uh, wig, yeah. And a, and a ginger wig, and he looks great in a kilt. So when, when that job came up, how, did you, because I want to ask you a question. Have you ever, like, you, do you ever get, like, a, an audition and you think, oh, I think I've got a really good chance of getting this one. Like, this, is, this one's for me. Did you think yeah. that? <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I do. I think, you know, but it's so, so funny because it's always the, when you're auditioning, it's always the one you think you're so right for that you don't get. And then the one you think it went, it went, it went really badly. And then you get the call back and you're like, what, what is going on? But for, for this one, yeah, I just, I think also all the time I'd spent in Los Angeles, pilot seasons, auditioning, like, you know, you, you get into the rhythm and I just come back from LA from that point. And so I was feeling, I guess, it, it, more in the zone or something, but, but I read the part and I just knew, like, I knew this guy, I knew this Highlander and I just felt like yeah I can I can make it work and it was a pretty pretty quick process I think about two weeks before from the first audition to screen test to, to getting off at the bar so it was yeah it was, it was kind of whirlwind. It's your chilled mate from this story. Oh, it is amazing actually. Did you think that Outlander was because I, I I'm gonna let you into a little secret I also auditioned not for Jamie Fraser oh, um, but I also auditioned for Outlander for Tobias's part actually. I was uh, just gonna say yeah, and uh, I remember reading that pilot script thinking, God, this is really good. Mm. Oh, wow. And, um, and so when it came about um, and I saw that you got it, I was like, oh, that's great. But did you think that it had the legs to go as far and be successful as it is now? I, firstly, dude, I, I'm not sure how I would have felt having you, um, uh, I don't know, um, <laughs> assault me, shall we say, uh, yes, that, I mean, that's been quite tricky. That would have been quite tricky, but we, I know we would have had a great time. And, and actually, that <laughs> you would have been brilliant at that because Frank is obviously, you know, this, you know, sort of charming, you know, lovable kind of character. And then obviously Blackjack was the other part you you would have had to play is just vile. And I think that you, was the blur of that of that role, wasn't it, to play the two different characters, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a great part. And Tobias, of course, you know, does an amazing Tobias, job. That would have been so different, so different. Um, but but yes, um, it it I never I never no I never even imagined you know I thought 
I remember the first day being driven in by my driver and we're talking. He was like, how long do you think it's going to go for? And I was like, no, just, you know, two years max, that'll be it. And, you know, we're now into our eighth, eighth year and um, we're still uh, still going. So what's the, what's, the, what's the plan? Do you think, is this something you want to do for a long, 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 long time? Or is it, do you know when this is finishing? Are you going to spill the beans and let us know? <laughs> I, I think I do. I think I know what's what I can sort of see the direction it's going. And obviously everything has to come to an end. I don't want it to end prematurely. And I, I love the character. I love the part and I love my job. It's it has, as you said, it's changed my life. But I'm also I'm ready for other things. And uh, I think I've, it's just been perfect. Outland has given me the opportunity to, to do other stuff. I've been pretty busy in my time off doing other jobs. And, and whenever you do those, that that's when you realize you're like, oh, I think I think I can do this. It's okay because you know, no matter how long you are on a job, you, you start to think, oh, is this the only thing I can do? And um, mm-hmm. so it's nice. It is nice to sort of stretch yourself in other ways. But Alander constantly, constantly um, gives us things to play with, and each season there's new challenges. So it's not like a procedural or a, you know a show that's very in one place. It, it Alander is always moving. The story is always changing. So yeah, it's it's a bit oh, of a right. gift. Oh, we're doing one of those scenes again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a dead body. Um, so, who's your favourite person on Outlander? Oh, my favourite person on Outlander. I mean, I have to say, my makeup artist Wendy. There's, there's probably a lot of comp- stiff competition. There's, there's a great, great number of people. But uh, uh, what's Wendy's surname? Wendy Kemp Forbes. Oh, okay, different Wendy. Okay. <laughs> different I also Wendy. have a lovely Wendy who's a makeup artist. Um, Ooh. Okay, so Wendy's your favourite person, but then. It, I'm, it looks like that is a group of, like the cast is a group of people who really get on with each other. Yeah, yeah. And, and like like you, I'm sure, you know, every show you've been on, you, you get a really strong bond. And I think we had a really strong bond, especially with the sort of original Highlanders in season one and two, and then they all died. And then we get new people come in and you form a bond and then they all get killed off. So at the moment, it's practically just myself and Katrina, but we have new people come to Fraser's Ridge now and it's just so fun, you know, each, each actor comes on with their own energy and new life. And uh, it's, it's so important to have, you know, great actors sort of surrounding you. And we really do. We're very lucky. Suzanne Smith does a great job in, in casting. So we're still waiting for you, though. <laughs> well, I'm nearly finished. Yeah. <laughs> if COVID ever lets us finish this job, then uh, maybe, yes, great. maybe we'll maybe when, when we're both done, we can work together. Why don't we do an Outlander the musical on stage? <laughs> Great. Yes, perfect. Yeah, I can't sing, but that's all right. You can sing and I'll... Islands and uh, yeah, we'll do something like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the nice, obviously the nice thing about Outlander for you is it's given you, you've got like, how, how many months of the year would you say you film an Outlander? I'd say nine to ten. Was it, is it that many? Yeah. Gosh, yeah. Because yeah. in the last few years, you've managed to um, do some other jobs as well. You're not not just Outlander, which is which is great. So I've yeah. seen that you've started to uh, you're breaking into the movie world. Yeah. So yeah. talk to me a bit about that. What's what's your experience has been like? What's like the biggest craziest movie moment you've had yet? Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I said, you know, Outlander gives me opportunity, and so we do do about eight, uh, about nine, ten months, and then fortunately they need time to to write and to prepare for the next season. So we normally get around six months off. Um, so that does give me time to fit something else in. And so I ha- I've been lucky. I did the, I did Bloodshot, um, Spy Who Dumped Me, you know, a couple of years before. And I just did um, a couple of, couple of things recently. But yeah, I think Bloodshot was probably the craziest, the most sort of Hollywood. I, I have, 
true, uh, confession, I haven't watched Bloodshot yet, but I have watched the trailer. Now, it looks like one of those movies where you've got to use a lot of your imagination for lots of things that are happening. Oh, how was that? Well, actually, having said that, despite being, you know, a big action uh, movie, we had, we were shooting in South Africa and, and they made, all the sets were just vast and incredible. And, um, and a lot of fights, actually, we, we did, you know, there was a lot of wire work and so it wasn't so bad. It wasn't literally just green screen the whole time. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I play a bad guy and I get to, you know, to kick some ass and punch Vin Diesel in the face. So um, it's pretty, pretty awesome. I didn't, I didn't punch him in the face. But. I'm sure if you had, he probably would have punched you back. Punched me right back. Yeah. And I, I didn't want that. So <laughs> he's brilliant. Honestly, he's nice like guy. talking, well, talking about, you know, working with someone who's, I mean, look at him. He's created this huge franchise, several franchises and, I mean, the man knows what he's doing. And so it was, it was, it was, to be honest, firstly, it felt like a bit of a time off. Like every movie I've done since Outlander feels easy by comparison to Outlander. What but do you yeah, mean? it was, well, just, just in the Outlander is so all consuming. You know, we, we you know, we work in really difficult conditions, obviously outside a lot in Scotland, which at the moment, you know, it's snow and ice and pretty cold and dark most of the time. Um, and they're long days, you know, really long days. And it's just such a big production. It's unwieldy. So when I go on to these other movies, it feels, you know, it just feels easy because it's only three or four months and you're done, you know? It's all this time. Why are we only shooting three pages? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> and there's only one script to learn, right? Whereas right. Outlander, there's, there's 12, you know, you're basically learning six, pr practically six movies you're, you're shooting back to back. I, I guess it ties in with that. Like, do you feel a sense of, of pressure or expectation on your shoulders being the, being the lead of a show like that um, compared to like when you go and do a movie like you're saying it's, it doesn't feel like quite so it's a bit care flying in the wind. Uh, I wouldn't say it's as much responsibility but not the same sense of pressure it doesn't all land on your shoulders so to speak. Yeah yeah I'm not sure how you feel but I guess leading something is very very different you know not just you know you're on set all day every day which actually sometimes is a blessing because it means you get in the rhythm and you get a shorthand with the crew very quickly and you control in a way you control the the pace of things and the energy on set so that that can be very beneficial but but yeah it is nice to just slip in for a day here and there and then get to go home early it's it is quite nice and you don't have that pressure of having to carry the whole thing but i just did a romantic comedy recently and uh was one of the co-leads in that and again it, it just it, it felt quite quite easy compared to outlander i think a di very different very different world though, you know, completely different skill. And that, that for me was challenging. Do you think that that maybe means that like you've probably, just because you've been doing it for so long and just how intense it's been for the time you've been shooting it, do you, I don't, do you think you'll ever have a job as intense as Outlander? And I mean, I mean that in a good way, um, in that you've kind of like done the hardest work you'll ever have to do. Oh, I don't know. What about you? What do you think? I think for me, uh, for Outlander, <laughs> yes. I don't think I'll ever have anything as, as intense again. What about you? What do you think for yours? You know, I, I can't imagine, certainly on season five of Lucifer, because I played two characters in it as well. I was just like, mm -hmm. I just can't imagine ever, ever having a busier schedule than that, ever. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. all day, day for like months and months and months. And yeah. But again, like you, I, it's kind of a privilege to be on that sort of hamster wheel yeah. is a bit of a privilege because there are so many people that come in and they feel nervous and the pressure of being on camera and, you know, guest actors that come in all the time and even even regular casts that are in like once, you know, once a, once a week or a couple of times a week or whatever, they feel like every moment has to count. There's that pressure that comes with it. 
And yeah. when you've been, when you're always on set and you're just consumed by it, you're just kind of like doing it and living it, and you don't think about those things. And, yeah. And that is, a, that is a massive privilege because you'll walk away from this job, walking onto other sets, and feel so much more comfortable than you used to. It is. It's something that I think I was always searching for. I think especially as I was auditioning, that I was always quite nervous and just wanted to be like one of those guys that walk in in front of you and they're all just like, hey, what's going on? And like they don't, like they don't care. And I cared so much. I wanted to get this job. I wanted to, to impress, which puts so much pressure on you. And I think it's the same, as you said, on, on going into other jobs now. I feel like there's a confidence and there's an ease. And I still get nervous on starting a new job. But it now is like, okay, I've done this. I know what I'm doing. And very quickly, you, you fall into you know, the pattern of, of the work schedule of the day. And yeah, so again, that's what Outland has given me. It's given this confidence, which is fantastic. Confidence is a huge, it's a huge, I mean, in all, in all parts of life. And I think certainly in the industry, you know, in acting, that there's such an, a ridiculous amount of rejection that you have to get used to. Now, it's very, it's very easy to lose confidence altogether, in, certainly in yourself. And like believing in yourself is the most fundamental thing that you have to do. Because if yep. you don't believe in what you're doing, no one else is. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, what you were saying there actually kind of reminded me of a sort of eureka moment for me in, in my career where auditions used to be about what do they want from me? What can I, mm. what they, they give you a big list of like, this character's like this, he's a bit like this guy in this film and a bit like this guy. So you've got all these kind of like reference points. And you, I, I used to spend all my time trying to be like those things, which yeah. meant that yeah. there was no authenticity or truth to the choices I was making. And I think that that confidence that you're talking about and that swagger and that here, I'm, I'm here and this is what I can do. And, you know, obviously it's still tinged with nerves, but I think it's, um, you know, that's just, it's something that comes with having, with having time. Experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I guess it's like giving them what they, they, what they, they think they have this whole list of like what they want to find or what they want to see, but it's because they haven't got it yet. So you go in and just be yourself and then they go, oh, that's, that's it. What you're looking for guys is me, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and that's the other thing that I want to talk to you about because like that sounds like an arrogant comment and I don't mean it to sound arrogant I mean it to sound like you have to have an, an element of self-belief like a, like a sportsman does you know like yeah. a boxer does when they go I'm going to win I'm going to take him down because mm -hmm. if they don't think that then there's no chance so you kind of have to have that belief and that isn't a very British quality yeah like, and, and and actually interestingly I'd like to question you on that is also, it's not just obviously on set, it's, but it's also something I was never used to or had never experienced is kind of the celebrity of it, especially in America. You know, you're expected also to to appear on TV shows or talk shows or, you know, be photographed outdoors and, and, and whatever. Um, and with that, that, that you need a confidence. You need to be like, there needs to be an ownership of it. And for me, also, that was always slightly concerning because I was used to like, I didn't want the, the spotlight to be on me as the person, I wanted the spotlight to be on the work. And so therefore you, you get into this weird situation where you're kind of promoting yourself as an actor, but also the character and yeah, it's just a, a new thing. I mean, you must have. It's a strange headspace because like, I, I think that, you know, culturally we, we are, we don't want to be seen ever as arrogant or big headed, right? Mm. As, actors, as British actors, you don't ever want to be seen as that. And, you know, to talk yourself up and stuff, you don't want to do that either. But you want to kind of let your work do the talking. But coming out to the States, you have to kind of like, you have to bang your own drum, basically. Yeah. And that, yeah. was the kind of like, that was a mental shift for me 
where I was like, I felt a bit of a fraud, to be honest, when I first started coming out here going, yeah, no, yeah, you know, and I had to get rid of the sort of slightly apologetic side of things and mm. just go, yeah, no, I've been in the show and it was a real success on the BBC and, um, I, you know, I feel like I've got more to offer, so that's why I've come out here. And, mm. you know, I can do this part for you or that part for you. That's the kind of headspace you have to be in. And it's so alien. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> that's British folk who are like, oh, uh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. You know, that's the first thing we do is apologize. Um, but but I still, I think I still feel that, you know, I, especially in interviews and things, uh, I, you know, I'd rather not, I, I'd rather sit back and like listen or watch rather than be the one that sort of, um, sort of gets up in, in front and sort of starts to sort of, I don't know, talk about your, your, your merits or how good you've been in something. So it is a strange one. And I guess it's also like some people deal with it differently. We look at, I looked at, you know, look at so someone like Matt Damon or who was very, very private or there are other people who are just, you know, kind of out there. So it, it is an interesting path that we, we have to sort of lead in, in, in Hollywood and in that world. Well, the nice thing is that like you were and always have been uh, a very uh, lovely and, you know, kind and, I'll pay you later. I'll pay you later. And, you know, all the nice qualities that people like in people that you don't always see in this industry. But you've led a very, very hugely successful show for eight years now. And you're still that same person, which is... Well, I mean, you know, you, you don't know about, you know, all the dead bodies I have got piled up <laughs> behind me. But uh, no, I think... I think, I think so highly of you. And I think that's a huge testament, mate. Well, I think, I, likewise, mate, I think, you know, I think you're, you know, I think you can't now, I might be wrong, but I feel that you can't be a, a successful or lead a show for this long and be an asshole. Maybe, maybe, maybe I am an asshole though. You know, when they say you can't see the, see the asshole in the room, you are. Because it has been done many, many times. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. But I think maybe people now, I don't know, maybe they, they talk more or. Um, people aren't quite as scared to, um. To, to speak up when they're feeling uncomfortable by someone yeah with what someone's doing or, or the way that someone's behaving for sure but yeah. there's unfortunately culturally there's also kind of a lot of over the years been people who just feel like they can't speak up because this you know a star is a star and we're all the underlings and i don't think that's very fair either yeah yeah absolutely um, yeah do you think the reason that um you've come that you you maintained your sort of groundedness is because of the experiences you had leading up to getting your big break. Yes, I think probably. Yeah, I think to be honest, you know, I, you know, I struggled. I mean, yeah, the first, the first sort of quarter or half of my career so far, you know, I, I worked occasionally, um, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. And I think, you know, it was like I remember just before I got Outlander, I'd been in America, I'd played Batman in this like arena show that went all around the world. I earned some good money on that spent a lot of time in LA getting close on stuff, but came back to the UK and I didn't have any money to show for it on any job. And I remember I had to sign on again or look for another bar job. And I was 34 and I just thought, you know, can I keep doing this? Is this really sustainable? And I did start to think, you know, okay, I'm going to have to put a sort of time cap on this and then really rethink everything. And at that point, you know, I, I auditioned for Outlander and my life changed. So, but I think it has, I think it has grounded me. I'm very thankful for for what it's done and and I'm, i can see you know my life could have been something completely different so um yeah i, I do yeah, feel I very imagine if you imagine if outlander had been like your first or second job out of drama school mm. you, wow can you imagine having that kind of like sense of pressure and expectation on your shoulders 
at that age and what that might do to someone's psyche. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have been awful. I would have been such a megalomaniac. I would have just, <laughs> I think, but also I think then leaving it, you know, if I imagine if I'd had that success early on and then, you know, come out of it just knowing success, that the fall would have been even bigger, you know? Like, uh, I think I'm ready for, for anything, you know? I think it, it certainly has made me more resilient, I think. Well, the other thing that's made you incredibly resilient, of course, is your physique, Mr. Hume. My, my physique. Uh, and your, your, uh, your love of exercise and, and walking and being outdoors. So right. um, talk to me a bit about, about that and talk to me a bit about your charity, Pete Challenge. Oh, well, that's kind of you, mate. Yeah, and um, coming from you, that's, that's good to hear because I've, I've seen, your, I've seen your, your videos on Instagram. You're pumping iron. You're doing the full Arnold. Heavily filters, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, it's something that I've always had and something I've always enjoyed. Yeah, I, and, and my Pete Challenge, which is my charity fundraiser, which actually 2021 program starts tomorrow, February the 1st. People watch this and they want to do my Pete Challenge. Tell me about yeah. it. So basically, it's an online fitness program. But whilst you're helping yourself, you're helping other people. So 50% of all the uh, profit goes to charities, our chosen charities. And at the moment, we have, I think, about five. We've raised over five and a half million dollars now for, for our charities. And we have, I think, around 14,000 members at the moment all around the world. And every day you get a particular workout and it's in a series. You get um, a support group. There's a sort of community group online. There's you know a meal plan. There's exercise plans and guides and each yeah you stay you get your this video and it sort of takes you through this whole thing and people it's incredible because all these peakers as we call them um all our members they've created their own communities we have ambassador groups from different countries they've made friends they've found confidence they've lost weight they've they've basically changed their health and i think um it's really important that people take control of that but also do it whilst helping other people so it's been uh, it's been really fun yeah, I share an equal, it's funny, my wife doesn't, but um, I, I love walking, like as a kid, that was my holiday, we used to, we didn't, I didn't get on an airplane until I was 21, by the way, we used to tow a caravan around the UK or wow. across Europe, and then we, we'd go walking, we'd go on walks with my dad, mm. and uh, I love, I love the outdoors and yeah. doing all that sort of stuff, so I'd love to go on a hike with you one day, somewhere in Scotland. Let's do it, I'd rather do it in Los Angeles where it's warmer, but... Yeah, we could do it in LA. It's a bit dry and crispy here. I do, yeah. I mean, something about Scotland I just find incredibly yeah. romantic. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. That, that, that's the, I don't want romance with you, Sam, but the, like the romantic notion of walking in the hills with you. Yeah. I'm not sure I want to hold your hand whilst climbing a mountain. It, it just right. doesn't. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be double in your whiskey, your Sassanac whiskey, by the way. <laughs> a little plug there for you. Uh, thank yeah. you very much. Yes, must get you that bottle. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I think, I mean, hill walking actually is kind of where it, it all was inspired by, you know, I was, came back to Scotland for Outlander and was hiking at the weekends and going out and it's so accessible here in Scotland, you can get to the mountains so easily and even today I went for a run and, you know, I was looking at the snow on the mountains in the distance and it was just like, it, it is, it is so exhilarating and um, romantic and captivating and um, I wanted to sort of share my love of the outdoors with, with people and that's how Might Be Challenge came about. I mean, certainly this year, I would suggest to anybody that it's a great thing to get involved in because it's also COVID friendly in that regard. Yeah. And going, yeah. Out walking, going out and walking and talking is actually something that is hugely overlooked by people. And I've had some of the most amazing conversations with people whilst on hikes. Mm. Just taking yeah. it all. 
and just it's just it's a very kind of zen place to be yeah and there's a sense of achievement you know as well you, when you're finished or when you get to the top and you, you get rewarded with a view it gives you a another horizon to look at and i think that that that's really important especially right now with politics and everything that's going on we you know it's important that we we look elsewhere and we, we look outside of our own sort of comfort comfort zone nature nature is a huge um healer and i think you know it's a it's something that we all need to turn to at the moment when there's despair and in humanity everywhere and, and man-made things i think spending a little bit of time in nature is actually it's good for everyone's soul right now yeah even if you have to hold hands with tom ellis even if you have to hold hands with me <laughs> <laughs> so one other thing i want to talk to you about before we before we wrap up is um okay is your you're very good at this by the way i have to say i when i interviewed you for another publication i i was quite nervous because i wanted to do you justice and i and you were fantastic obviously great but then i realized being an interviewer you know there's quite a bit of work you have to do you have to sort of really swat up and um but you're a very good interviewer and interviewee so it is cheating a bit because i know a lot about you and i've got this personal connection with you so i kind of you know yeah. it's just like having a, a nice chat really Another person I have a personal connection with, segues, that's great for this sort of thing. Oh, that's right. good. Yeah, you're a pro. Uh, I just have a personal connection with is Mr. Graham McTavish, who obviously came mm. yesterday. But he was a big part of Outlander. And you guys are great friends and have brought out a book and have done a show together. Please do tell me about Men in Kilts. Yes, Men in Kilts. It's uh, quite a quite an original title. Um, yeah, I... I was I've been looking the last couple of years to sort of create my own material and have been doing doing that. And amongst that, you know, I saw that, you know, everyone I, I loved one of the best favorite parts of Outlanders, the Highlanders and, and Scotland. And I know that a lot of people are kind of obsessed with Scotland and Scottish culture. So I was looking to do something. Um and at that time I was speaking to Graham. I think actually we were in Los Angeles. Uh I was drinking a beer and he was drinking a cafe latte as usual. And um, he also told me he had you know, intentions or had wanted to make a, a documentary show about the history of Scotland. So I came back to Scotland last year and was shooting Outlander and I just thought, why not? Why don't we just do this? And pulled a, a crew together and some contacts that I had and Graham flew over and we shot over a number of weekends and basically made a pilot episode of Men in Kilts that we then fortunately managed to sell to, to Stars and Sony. And, um, thus it was born and uh, it's it's great fun and it's out on um, Valentine's Day. Again, so another romantic theme. It's going to be stars in the US. Stars on uh, February 14th and um, I believe hopefully elsewhere at some point. But um, the book, the book is also available and the book is basically the story of the original road trip we went on when shooting the pilot. And um, it's, it's probably a lot more in depth than maybe the show is. We go into a lot more of the history, but also... I guess more about ourselves as actors and the like anecdotes from from working on Outlander, but also other things, and and also our personal relationship. And it it really is a slightly dysfunctional relationship. You know, we we are we do bicker quite a lot, but I think that's the joy, and I think hopefully people will enjoy that. Yeah, I mean Graham's so much company, and he's got so many stories. Oh, <laughs> oh, he has stories. Yeah, yeah, and I also love his um, Sylvester Stallone impression as well. It's very funny. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Well, part of Men in Kilts, there's a whole segment of Graham's impressions, which uh, are, are endless, and I have to listen to them every single day. So, but he's uh, Graham. Graham plays all these characters who are quite, I'd say, masculine, quite aggressive. You know, he's he's quite a character. He's well built, 
Um, but in real life, Graham is a total teddy bear and um, extremely nervous around dangerous things. So that was kind of the joy of, of Men in Kilts as well, as getting him to do things that he didn't want to do. Oh, go on, give me one thing that he didn't, is he like scared of heights and stuff like that? Oh yeah, he's, he's terrified of heights. So I got him to abseil. He, he, he would refuse point blank to get in a kayak with me, despite trying to bribe him in every way. I got him on a tandem bicycle, but that, he complained about that incessantly. Um, there's a number of other things, a, a kind of near-death experience on a motorbike, but we'll, we'll yeah, leave that Wait, for another time. Just come with a rating, because I can, I can think that um, Graham's language probably gets quite colourful when he's scared. Yes, yeah. <laughs> We're actually in the edit. I was like, can, can we keep this? Um, <laughs> but apparently it's going to be aired at a certain time and on, on Star, so it's okay. But it's a lot of fun. Every episode features a different theme. So there's song and dance, there's food and drink, there's clans and tartans, there's natural beauty. And, uh, and we're driving around Scotland in this camper van that I decked out with lots of kitsch Scottish memorabilia. And uh, it, it's great fun, great banter. So what do you think it is about Scotland that people just, like, I, I feel like there's, a, a, I wouldn't say overly romanticized version, but I think there's a lot of people who've never been to Scotland who have this idea of what Scotland is. What do you think it is, it is about Scotland that people are sort of drawn to? Yeah, you're totally right, mate. I think, firstly, and an outlander, dare I say, it doesn't romanticize things, outlander. In fact, sometimes it makes things blatantly obvious and quite clear how, how brutal it was. But but there is still this romantic idea of Scotland and the Highlanders and, you know, Bonnie Prince Charlie and the Jacobite Rebellion. And, and I think, you know, what we dig into a little bit in Men in Kilts um, is also the truth about what actually really happened. But I think... To be honest, what it is about Scotland, the draw is that, that it's so tangible that, that, that you can literally drive or walk anywhere around Scotland and there's a, you know, history is, is there. There's a castle, there's an ancient, you know, ruin or, um, I don't know, a standing stone that, that, you know, hundreds of years ago, people were, were living and, and had a life here. And I think you feel very, very close to the past here. And I think that's what's so, like, you know, the draw of, of Scotland. It is amazing, isn't it? I, I remember taking my um, my American wife to Edinburgh for the first time, and not yeah. not only uh, was that her first time in Edinburgh. She's a huge Harry Potter fan, so like oh, wow. yeah. coming on the train to Edinburgh is like the closest experience you have to arriving at Hogwarts that there is in the, in the yeah. real world. Yeah, and, uh, and, and that, it's just Edinburgh's just like it, I mean, it's crazy how beautiful that that city is. Yeah, we we shot there the first couple of days of Men in Kilts and. As you said, it's it's like it's like Harry Potter world. There's all these closes and alleyways that, you know, it feel like di is it Diagon Alley or whatever? And um, yeah, and it feels like you're shopping for, for wands and stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it really is. And she and and she wrote. I mean, she wrote um, Harry Potter. So I think in the Elephant House Cafe, which is on Georgia Fourth Bridge, and um, yeah, it was inspired a lot by by Edinburgh. So uh, it's it's a great city. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Although I have to say, probably Glasgow tops it for me. It, it, I it, had the three, three of the best years of my life in Glasgow. I absolutely yeah. love the city. Yeah. There's, there's this, um, for people outside that don't know, there's this, you know, I guess, rivalry between Edinburgh and Glasgow, the two big cities in the central belt. And uh, I'm an Edinburgher, I guess we call them. I'm from there. You know, I lived there when I was a teenager. And, but having said that, I think I'm now a Ouija. I love Glasgow. I I've lived here now almost almost 10 years and um it's just such a great city and uh, and they like salt and vinegar on their chips whereas edinburgh like salt and sauce and i don't know i don't know if it's salt, right. sauce. what's that all about 
No, I just I... don't know. Yeah, it's like a vinegar brown sauce mix that you get in the chip shops in Edinburgh. I don't know. It's 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 either your thing or it's not. Is uh is Trader Joe's still there? <laughs> the bar we used to drink at around the corner from college. So the bar that used to be around the corner from our, our drama school, um, which is next to the, the Theatre Royal, it's it, the bar still there. It's not called Trader Joe's, but it's something else. But I, I walked past there the other day and had this vivid recollection of one of my good friends at drama school. We were all in there on a Friday night, you know, drinking cheap beer. And he decided he sort of put on a show for us. And he went outside and ran up the street and pretended he was jogging and sort of jogged up to the Theatre Royal and ran into one of the lampposts there as people were coming out of the theatre role. And then there was this big hubbub where they thought he'd knocked himself out and uh, he was acting. But um, it was... Oh, drama students. Oh, drama students. Ridiculous. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you again. You too, mate. I yeah, absolutely. I'm hoping to be in the UK later this year. So Are you? Great. When do you guys um, rep? Sometime, sometime this year. Sometime. <laughs> I, I hope. I, I, I'm sort of reluctant to say because we're not even sort of really saying that we're working at the moment. We, it's it's been a, a long build up, and then also there's just you know it's the true. COVID thing at the moment is is pretty pretty intense right now. So anything can happen. So we're we're just trying to you know um, so see, see if we get through okay. it. So you'll probably will be in the UK for most of this year. I'm here, and uh, you're very welcome to come up, mate. It'd be great to see you finally in person. It'd be so nice. Well, once I'm isolated and done all that and I'm safe, <laughs> I might take a little trip up to Scotland with the kids. Do that. Do that. We could go We could go for a hike, and I won't hold your hand. And then, yeah, it'd be awesome. It'd be awesome to see you, mate. It'd be really cool. Yeah, man. It'd be lovely. For more interviews and features with some of the most engaging personalities in TV and film, music, sport, and culture, go to squaremile.com.